Kate here, Saints. You're listening to Read Like a Lutheran on Double-Edged Sword, our Lenten read through the Book of Concord. If you'd like a copy of the schedule, you can find it in the show notes, or you can get a copy by contacting Pastor Kilgo at kilgosr at gmail.com. May you be richly blessed as you meditate on these confessions of the Lutheran Church. The Three Ecumenical Creeds and Luther's Small Catechism The Apostles' Creed I believe in God the Father Almighty, Maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ his only Son our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. The Nicene Creed I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible. And in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of his Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, who for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven, and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary, and was made man, and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. And the third day he rose again, according to the Scriptures, and ascended into heaven, and sits at the right hand of the Father. And he will come again with glory, to judge both the living and the dead, whose kingdom will have no end. And I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and Giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets. And I believe in one holy Christian and apostolic church. I acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and I look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. The Athanasian Creed Whoever desires to be saved must, above all, hold the Catholic faith. Whoever does not keep it whole and undefiled will, without doubt, perish eternally. And the Catholic faith is this, that we worship one God in Trinity, and Trinity in unity, neither confusing the persons nor dividing the substance. For the Father is one person, the Son is another, and the Holy Spirit is another. But the Godhead of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit is one, the glory equal, the majesty co-eternal. Such as the Father is, such is the Son, and such is the Holy Spirit. The Father uncreated, the Son uncreated, the Holy Spirit uncreated. The Father infinite, the Son infinite, the Holy Spirit infinite. The Father eternal, the Son eternal, the Holy Spirit eternal. And yet there are not three eternals, but one eternal, 
just as there are not three uncreated or three infinites, but one uncreated and one infinite. In the same way, the Father is Almighty, the Son Almighty, the Holy Spirit Almighty, and yet there are not three Almighties, but one Almighty. So the Father is God, the Son is God, the Holy Spirit is God, and yet there are not three gods, but one God. So the Son is Lord, the Father is Lord, the Holy Spirit is Lord, and yet there are not three lords, but one Lord. Just as we are compelled by the Christian truth to acknowledge each distinct person as God and Lord, so also are we prohibited by the Catholic religion to say that there are three gods or lords. The Father is not made, nor created, nor begotten by anyone. The Son is neither made, nor created, but begotten of the Father alone. The Holy Spirit is of the Father, and of the Son, neither made, nor created, nor begotten, but proceeding. Thus there is one Father, not three fathers, one Son, not three sons, one Holy Spirit, not three Holy Spirits. And in this Trinity, none is before or after another, none is greater or less than another. But the whole three persons are co-eternal with each other and co-equal, so that in all things, as has been stated above, the Trinity in unity and unity in Trinity is to be worshipped. Therefore, whoever desires to be saved must think thus about the Trinity. But it is also necessary for everlasting salvation that one faithfully believe the incarnation of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, it is the right faith that we believe and confess that our Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is at the same time both God and man. He is God, begotten from the substance of the Father before all ages, and he is man, born from the substance of his mother in this age. Perfect God and perfect man, composed of a rational soul and human flesh, equal to the Father with respect to his divinity, less than the Father with respect to his humanity. Although he is God and man, he is not two, but one Christ. One, however, not by the conversion of the divinity into flesh, but by the assumption of the humanity into God. One altogether, not by confusion of substance, but by unity of person. For as the rational soul and flesh is one man, so God and man is one Christ, who suffered for our salvation, descended into hell, rose again on the third day from the dead, ascended into heaven, and is seated at the right hand of the Father, from whence he will come to judge the living and the dead. At his coming all people will rise again with their bodies to give an account concerning their own deeds. And those who have done good will enter into eternal life, and those who have done evil into eternal fire. This is the Catholic faith. Whoever does not believe it faithfully and firmly cannot be saved. The Small Catechism Preface of Dr. Martin Luther Martin Luther, to all faithful and godly pastors and preachers, grace, mercy, and peace in Jesus Christ our Lord. The deplorable, miserable condition that I discovered recently, when I too was a visitor, has forced and urged me to prepare this catechism, or Christian doctrine, in this small, plain, simple form. Mercy, dear God, what great misery I beheld. The common person, especially in the villages, has no knowledge whatsoever of Christian doctrine. 
and unfortunately, many pastors are completely unable and unqualified to teach. This is so much so that one is ashamed to speak of it. Yet everyone says that they are Christians, have been baptized, and received the holy sacraments, even though they cannot even recite the Lord's Prayer, or the Creed, or the Ten Commandments. They live like dumb brutes and irrational hogs. Now that the gospel has come, they have nicely learned to abuse all freedom like experts. O bishops, what answer will you ever give to Christ for having so shamefully neglected the people and never for a moment fulfilled your office? May all misfortune run from you. I do not wish at this place to call down evil on your heads. You command the sacrament in one form and insist on your human laws, and yet at the same time you do not care at all whether the people know the Lord's Prayer, the Creed, the Ten Commandments, or any part of God's Word. Woe, woe to you forever. Therefore I beg you all, for God's sake, my dear sirs and brethren who are pastors or preachers, to devote yourselves heartily to your office. Have pity on the people who are entrusted to you, and help us teach the catechism to the people, and especially to the young. And let those of you who cannot do better take these tables and forms and press them word for word on the people as follows. In the first place, let the preacher above all be careful to avoid many versions or various texts and forms of the Ten Commandments, the Lord's Prayer, the Creed, the sacraments, and such. He should choose one form to which he holds and teaches all the time, year after year. For young and simple people must be taught by uniform, settled texts and forms. Otherwise, they become confused easily when the teacher today teaches them one way, and in a year some other way, as if he wished to make improvements. For then all effort and labor that has been spent in teaching is lost. Our blessed fathers understood this well also. They all use the same form of the Lord's Prayer, the Creed, and the Ten Commandments. Therefore, we too should be at pains to teach the young and simple people these parts in such a way that we do not change a syllable or set them forth and repeat them one year differently than in another. Therefore, choose whatever form you please and hold to it forever. But when you preach in the presence of learned and intelligent people, you may show your skill. You may present these parts in varied and intricate ways and give them as masterly turns as you are able. But with the young people, stick to one fixed, permanent form and manner. Teach them, first of all, these parts. The Ten Commandments, the Creed, the Lord's Prayer, and so on, according to the text, word for word, so that they too can repeat it in the same way after you and commit it to memory. But those who are unwilling to learn the Catechism should be told, that they deny Christ and are not Christians. They should not be admitted to the sacrament, accepted as sponsors at baptism, or practice any part of Christian freedom. They should simply be turned back to the Pope and all his officials, indeed to the devil himself. Furthermore, their parents and employers should refuse them food and drink and notify them that the prince will drive such rude people from the country. Although we cannot and should not force anyone to believe, we should insist and encourage the people. That way they will know what is right and wrong for those among whom they dwell and wish to make their living. For whoever desires to live in a town must know and observe the town laws, because he wishes to enjoy the protection offered by the laws, whether he is a believer, or at heart and in private a rascal or rogue. In the second place, after they have learned the text well, teach them the meaning also, so that they may know what it means. 
Again, choose the form of these tables or some other brief uniform method, whichever you like, and hold to it. Do not change a single syllable, as was just said about the text. Take your time doing this, for it is not necessary for you to explain all the parts at once, but one after the other. After they understand the first commandment well, then explain the second, and so on. Otherwise, they will be overwhelmed, so that they will not be able to remember anything well. In the third place, after you have taught them this short catechism, then take up the large catechism, and give them also a richer and fuller knowledge. Here, enlarge upon every commandment, article, petition, and part with its various works, uses, benefits, dangers, and injuries, as you find these abundantly stated in many books written about these matters. In particular, urge the commandment or part that most suffers the greatest neglect among your people. For example, the seventh commandment about stealing must be strongly urged among mechanics and merchants, and even farmers and servants, for among these people many kinds of dishonesty and stealing prevail. So you too must drive home the fourth commandment among the children and the common people so that they may be quiet and faithful, obedient and peaceable. You must always offer many examples from the scriptures to show how God has punished or blessed such persons. In this matter, you should especially urge magistrates and parents to rule well and to send their children to school. Show them why it is their duty to do this and what a damnable sin they are committing if they do not do it. For by such neglect they overthrow and destroy both God's kingdom and that of the world. They act as the worst enemies of both God and of people. Make it very plain to them what an awful harm they are doing if they will not help to train children to be pastors, preachers, clerks, and to fulfill other offices that we cannot do without in this life. God will punish them terribly for this failure. There is great need to preach this. In this matter, parents and rulers are now sinning in unspeakable ways. The devil, too, hopes to accomplish something cruel because of these things. Last, since the tyranny of the Pope has been abolished, people are no longer willing to go to the sacrament, and thus they despise it. Here again, encouragement is necessary, yet with this understanding. We are to force no one to believe or to receive the sacrament, nor should we set up any law, time, or place for it. Instead, preach in such a way that by their own will, without our law, they will urge themselves and, as it were, compel us pastors to administer the sacrament. This is done by telling them, when someone does not seek or desire the sacrament at least four times a year, it is to be feared he despises the sacrament and is not a Christian, just as a person is not a Christian who does not believe or hear the gospel. For Christ did not say, leave this out or despise this, but do this as often as you drink it, and other such words. Truly, he wants it done, and not entirely neglected and despised. Do this, he says. Now, whoever does not highly value the sacrament shows that he has no sin, no flesh, no devil, no world, no death, no danger, no hell. In other words, he does not believe any such things, although he is in them up over his head and ears and is doubly the devil's own. On the other hand, he needs no grace, no life, no paradise, no heaven, no Christ, no God, nor anything good. For if he believed that he had so much evil around him and needed so much that is good, he would not neglect the sacrament by which such evil is remedied and so much good is bestowed. Nor would it be necessary to force him to go to the sacrament by any law. He would come running and racing of his own will, would force himself and beg that you must give him the sacrament. 
Therefore, you must not make any law about this, as the Pope does. Only set forth clearly the benefit and harm, the need and use, the danger and the blessing connected with this sacrament. Then the people will come on their own without you forcing them. But if they do not come, let them go their way and tell them that such people belong to the devil, who do not regard nor feel the great need of God's gracious help. But if you do not urge this, or make it a law, or make it bitter, it is your fault if they despise the sacrament. What else could they be than lazy if you sleep and are silent? Therefore look to it, pastors and preachers. Our office has now become a different thing from what it was under the Pope. It has now become a serious and saving office. So it now involves much more trouble, labor, danger, and trials. In addition, it gains little reward and thanks in the world, but Christ himself will be our reward if we labor faithfully. To this end, may the Father of all grace help us, to whom be praise and thanks forever, through Christ our Lord. Amen. The Ten Commandments as the head of the family should teach them in a simple way to his household. The first commandment, you shall have no other gods. What does this mean? We should fear, love, and trust in God above all things. The second commandment, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. What does this mean? We should fear and love God so that we do not curse, swear, use witchcraft, lie or deceive by his name, but call upon it in every trouble. Pray, praise, and give thanks. The third commandment. You shall sanctify the holy day. What does this mean? We should fear and love God, so that we may not despise preaching and his word, but hold it sacred and gladly hear and learn it. The fourth commandment. You shall honor your father and your mother, that it may be well with you, and you may live long upon the earth. What does this mean? We should fear and love God so that we may not despise or anger our parents and masters, but give them honor, serve them, obey them, and hold them in love and esteem. The fifth commandment, you shall not murder. What does this mean? We should fear and love God so that we may not hurt or harm our neighbor and his body, but help and befriend him in every bodily need, in every need of danger of life and body. The sixth commandment, you shall not commit adultery. What does this mean? We should fear and love God so that we may lead a pure and decent life in words and deeds, and each love and honor his spouse. The seventh commandment, you shall not steal. What does this mean? We should fear and love God so that we may not take our neighbor's money or property, nor get them with bad products or deals, but help him to improve and protect his property and business. The Eighth Commandment, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. What does this mean? We should fear and love God so we may not deceitfully belie, betray, slander, or defame our neighbor, but defend him, think and speak well of him, and put the best construction on everything. The Ninth Commandment, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. What does this mean? We should fear and love God so that we may not craftily seek to get our neighbor's inheritance or house, or obtain it by a show of justice and right, or any other means, but help and be of service to him in keeping it. The Tenth Commandment You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his manservant, or his maidservant, 
or his cattle, or anything that is his. What does this mean? We should fear and love God so that we may not turn, force, or entice away our neighbor's wife, servants, or cattle, but urge them to stay and carefully do their duty. What does God say about all these commandments? He says, I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. What does this mean? God threatens to punish all who sin against these commandments, therefore we should fear his wrath and not act contrary to these commandments. But he promises grace and every blessing to all who keep these commandments. Therefore, we should also love and trust in him and gladly do what he commands. The Creed, as the head of the family, should teach it in a simple way to his household. The First Article, Creation I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. What does this mean? I believe that God has made me and all creatures. He has given me my body and soul, eyes, ears, and all my limbs, my reason and all my senses, and still preserves them. In addition, he has given me clothing and shoes, meat and drink, house and home, wife and children, fields, cattle, and all my goods. He provides me richly and daily with all that I need to support this body and life. He protects me from all danger and guards me and preserves me from all evil. He does all this out of pure fatherly divine goodness and mercy without any merit or worthiness in me. For all this I ought to thank him, praise him, serve him, and obey him. This is most certainly true. The Second Article Redemption And in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. What does this mean? I believe that Jesus Christ, true God, begotten of the Father from eternity, and also true man, born of the Virgin Mary, is my Lord. He has redeemed me, a lost and condemned creature, purchased and won me from all sins, from death, and from the power of the devil. He did this not with gold or silver, but with his holy, precious blood, and with his innocent suffering and death, so that I may be his own, live under him in his kingdom, and serve him in everlasting righteousness, innocence, and blessedness, just as he is risen from the dead, lives and reigns to all eternity. This is most certainly true. The third article, Sanctification. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. What does this mean? I believe that I cannot, by my own reason or strength, believe in Jesus Christ my Lord or come to him. But the Holy Spirit has called me by the gospel, enlightened me with his gifts, sanctified and kept me in the true faith. In the same way he calls, gathers, enlightens, and sanctifies the whole Christian church on earth and keeps it with Jesus Christ in the one true faith. 
In this Christian church, he daily and richly forgives all my sins and the sins of all believers. On the last day, he will raise up me and all the dead and will give eternal life to me and all believers in Christ. This is most certainly true. The Lord's Prayer, as the head of the family should teach it in the simplest way to his household. Our Father, who art in heaven. What does this mean? By these words, God would tenderly encourage us to believe that he is our true Father and that we are his true children, so that we may ask him confidently with all assurance, as dear children ask their dear Father. The First Petition Hallowed be thy name. What does this mean? God's name is indeed holy in itself, but we pray in this petition that it may become holy among us also. How is this done? When the word of God is taught in its truth and purity, and we as the children of God also lead holy lives in accordance with it, to this end help us, dear Father in heaven. But anyone who teaches and lives other than by what God's word teaches profanes the name of God among us. From this preserve us, Heavenly Father. The second petition, Thy kingdom come. What does this mean? The kingdom of God comes indeed without our prayer of itself, but we pray in this petition that it may come to us also. How is this done? When our Heavenly Father gives us his Holy Spirit so that by his grace we believe his holy word and lead a godly life here in time and there in eternity. The third petition, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What does this mean? The good and gracious will of God is done indeed without our prayer, but we pray in this petition that it may be done among us also. How is this done? When God breaks and hinders every evil counsel and will that would not let us hallow the name of God nor let his kingdom come, such as the will of the devil, the world, and our flesh, Instead, he strengthens and keeps us steadfast in his word and in faith until we die. This is his good and gracious will. The fourth petition. Give us this day our daily bread. What does this mean? God gives daily bread, even without our prayer, to all wicked people. But we pray in this petition that he would lead us to realize this and to receive our daily bread with thanksgiving. What is meant by daily bread? Everything that belongs to the support and needs of the body, such as food, drink, clothing, shoes, house, home, field, cattle, money, goods, a pious spouse, pious children, pious servants, pious and faithful rulers, good government, good weather, peace, health, discipline, honor, good friends, faithful neighbors, and the like. The Fifth Petition and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. What does this mean? We pray in this petition that our Father in heaven would not look upon our sins nor deny such petitions on account of them. We are not worthy of any of the things for which we pray, neither have we deserved them, but we pray that he would grant them to us all by grace. For we daily sin much, and indeed deserve nothing but punishment. So we will truly, on our part, also heartily forgive and readily do good to those who sin against us. The Sixth Petition And lead us not into temptation. What does this mean? God indeed tempts no one, but we pray in this petition that God would guard and keep us so that the devil, the world, and our flesh may not deceive us nor seduce us into false belief, despair, and other great shame and vice. Though we are attacked by these things, we pray that 
still we may finally overcome them and gain the victory. The seventh petition, but deliver us from evil. What does this mean? We pray in this petition, as in summary, that our Father in heaven would deliver us from all kinds of evil, of body and soul, property and honor. And finally, when our last hour shall come, we pray that he would grant us a blessed end and graciously take us from this veil of tears to himself into heaven. Amen. What does this mean? I should be certain that these petitions are acceptable to our Father in heaven and are heard by him, for he himself has commanded us to pray this way and has promised that he will hear us. Amen, amen, that is, yes, yes, it shall be so. The Sacrament of Holy Baptism as the head of the family should teach it in a simple way to his household. First, what is baptism? Baptism is not simple water only, but it is the water included in God's command and connected with God's word. Which is that word of God? Christ our Lord says in the last chapter of Matthew, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Second, what does baptism give or profit? It works forgiveness of sins, delivers from death and the devil, and gives eternal salvation to all who believe this, as the words and promises of God declare. Which are these words and promises of God? Christ our Lord says in the last chapter of Mark, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. Third, how can water do such great things? It is not the water, indeed, that does them, but the word of God, which is in and with the water, and faith, which trusts this word of God in the water. For without the word of God, the water is simple water and no baptism. But with the word of God, it is a baptism, that is, a gracious water of life and a washing of regeneration in the Holy Spirit, as St. Paul says in Titus chapter 3. He saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The saying is trustworthy. Fourth, what does such baptizing with water signify? It signifies that the old Adam in us should, by daily contrition and repentance, be drowned and die with all sins and evil lusts, and also it shows that a new man should daily come forth and arise, who shall live before God in righteousness and purity forever. Where is this written? St. Paul says in Romans chapter 6, We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. How the unlearned should be taught to confess. What is confession? Confession has two parts. The one is that we confess our sins, the other is that we receive absolution, or forgiveness, from the confessor as from God himself, and in no way doubt but firmly believe that our sins are forgiven before God in heaven by this. What sins should we confess? Before God we should plead guilty of all sins, even of those we do not know as we do in the Lord's Prayer. But before the confessor we should confess only those sins that we know and feel in our hearts. Which are these? Here consider your calling according to the Ten Commandments, whether you are a father, mother, son, daughter, master, mistress, a manservant or maidservant, 
Consider whether you have been disobedient, unfaithful, or slothful. Consider whether you have grieved anyone by words or deeds, whether you have stolen, neglected, wasted, or done other harm. Please give to me a brief form of confession. You should speak to the confessor like this, Reverend and dear sir, I ask you to hear my confession and to pronounce forgiveness to me for God's sake. Proceed. I, a poor sinner, confess myself guilty of all sins before God. I especially confess before you that I am a manservant, a maidservant, etc. But unfortunately, I serve my master unfaithfully. For in this and that I have not done what has been commanded me. I have provoked him and caused him to curse. I have been negligent in many things and permitted damage to be done. I have also been immodest in words and deeds. I have argued with my equals, grumbled and sworn at my mistress, and so forth. For all this I am sorry, and I pray for grace. I want to do better. A master or mistress may say this. In particular, I confess before you that I have not faithfully trained my children, domestic servants, and wife, family, for God's glory. I have cursed set a bad example by rude words and deeds. I have done my neighbor harm and spoken evil of him. I have overcharged, sold inferior products, and have given people less than they paid for. And whatever else he has done against God's command and his calling and such. But if anyone does not find himself burdened with these sins or greater sins, he should not trouble himself or search for or invent other sins, and thereby make a confession of torture. He should mention one or two sins that he knows, say, in particular I confess that I once cursed, further I once used improper words, I have once neglected this or that, and so on, let this be enough. But if you don't know of any sins at all, which however is hardly possible, then mention none in particular, but receive the forgiveness upon your general confession that you make before God to the confessor. Then the confessor shall say, God be merciful to you and strengthen your faith. Amen. Furthermore, do you believe that my forgiveness is God's forgiveness? Yes, dear sir. Then let him say, As you believe, so let it be done for you. And by the command of our Lord Jesus Christ, I forgive you your sins in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Depart in peace. But for those who have great burdens on their consciences, or are distressed and tempted, The confessor will know how to comfort and to encourage them to believe with more passages of Scripture. This is supposed to serve as a general form of confession for the unlearned. The Sacrament of the Altar, as the head of the family, should teach it in a simple way to his household. What is the Sacrament of the Altar? It is the true body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ under the bread and wine for us Christians to eat and to drink, instituted by Christ himself. Where is this written? The Holy Evangelists Matthew, Mark, Luke, and St. Paul write, Our Lord Jesus Christ on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is given for you, this do in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you. This is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. This do as often as you drink it, in remembrance of me. What is the benefit of such eating and drinking? That is shown to us in these words, given for you, and shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. 
This means that in the sacrament, forgiveness of sins, life, and salvation are given us through these words. For where there is forgiveness of sins, there is also life and salvation. How can bodily eating and drinking do such great things? It is not the eating and drinking indeed that does them, but the words which are given here, given and shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. These words are, beside the bodily eating and drinking, the chief thing in the sacrament. The person who believes these words has what they say and express, namely the forgiveness of sins. Who then receives such sacrament worthily? Fasting and bodily preparation are indeed fine outward training, but a person is truly worthy and well prepared who has faith in these words, given and shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. But anyone who does not believe these words or doubts is unworthy and unfit, for the words for you require hearts that truly believe. How the head of the family should teach his household to bless themselves in the morning and in the evening. Morning Prayer In the morning when you rise, you shall bless yourself with the Holy Cross and say, In the name of God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Then kneeling or standing, repeat the Creed and the Lord's Prayer. If you choose, you may, in addition, say this little prayer. I thank you, my Heavenly Father, through Jesus Christ, your dear Son, that you have kept me this night from all harm and danger. And I pray that you would keep me this day also from sin and all evil, so that all my doings and life may please you. For into your hands I commend myself, my body and soul, and all things. Let your holy angel be with me, so that the wicked foe may have no power over me. Amen. Then go to your work with joy, singing a hymn like one on the Ten Commandments, or whatever your devotion may suggest. Evening Prayer In the evening, when you go to bed, you shall bless yourself with the Holy Cross and say, In the name of God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Then, kneeling or standing, repeat the Creed and the Lord's Prayer. If you choose, you may, in addition, say this little prayer. I thank you, my Heavenly Father, through Jesus Christ, your dear Son, that you have graciously kept me this day. And I pray, forgive me all my sins where I have done wrong, and graciously keep me this night. For into your hands I commend myself, my body, and soul, and all things. Let your holy angel be with me, so that the wicked foe may have no power over me. Amen. Then go to sleep immediately and cheerfully. How the head of the family should teach his household to ask a blessing and return thanks. Asking a blessing. The children and servants shall go to the table with folded hands reverently and say, The eyes of all look to you, and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand, you satisfy the desire of every living thing. Then say the Lord's Prayer and the following prayer. Lord God, Heavenly Father, bless us in these your gifts, which we receive from your bountiful goodness, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Returning thanks. Likewise, after the meal, they shall reverently and with folded hands say, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. He gives to the beast their food, and to the young ravens that cry. His delight is not in the strength of the horse, nor his pleasure in the legs of a man. But the Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him, and those who hope in his steadfast love. Then say the Lord's Prayer in the following. We thank you, Lord God, Father, through Jesus Christ our Lord, for all your benefits, who lives and reigns forever and ever. Amen.
table of duties, certain passages of scripture for various holy orders and positions by which these people are to be admonished as a special lesson about their office and service. For bishops, pastors, and preachers. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but Gentile, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. He must hold firm the trustworthy word as taught, so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine, and also to rebuke those who would contradict it. What the hearers owe their pastors. In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. One who is taught the word must share all good things with the one who teaches. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, You shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls, as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Concerning civil government, let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval, for he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. What subjects owe to the rulers? Therefore render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. Therefore one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For the same reason you also pay taxes, for the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme, or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For husbands. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Husbands, love your wives, and do not be harsh with them. For wives, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, by submitting to their husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children, if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening.
For parents, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. For children, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you, and that you may live long in the land. For male and female servants, hired men and laborers, slaves obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ, not by way of eye service, as people pleasers, but as servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a slave or free. For Masters and Mistresses Masters, do the same to them, and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and that there is no partiality with him. For Young Persons in General Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders, Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. For widows, she who is truly a widow, left all alone, has set her hope on God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. But she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. For all in common. The commandments are summed up in this word, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people. Let each his lesson learn with care, and all the household well shall fare. Thanks again for listening to Read Like a Lutheran on Double-Edged Sword. If you're in the Lawrence area, please consider joining us for church on Sundays at 10 a.m. and Wednesdays at 7 p.m. We also have a variety of Bible studies available, which you can find by visiting our website at redeemer-lawrence.org. If you have any questions, please do not hesitate to contact us. Until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you in his mercy.